I hope you have experienced someone at some point, at some level, investing in your life because they, they saw potential in you. Whether in a small way or a big way, they invested in your life because they saw potential in you. Maybe it was a, a teacher or a relative, maybe a leader or a coach, maybe a pastor or an elder. The first time I experienced this, it was with my youth pastor. I had been a Christian only a year. Only a year, and I was a uh, stumbling Christian at that, even for that year. But he saw something in me as I was trying to share the good news about Jesus with my friends, friends who my parents saw as poor influences, and that was probably true, but I didn't know any better. I just wanted to share Christ with them. And so not knowing any better, I just bring them to church, I bring them to youth group. And uh, my youth pastor said, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of this spark. I see in Ryan, let's start a, a... Uh, evangelism training. And so every Thursday after school for about 10 weeks, uh, some friends and I, we learned about how to share our faith, how to share our faith well. And, and what he also did without telling me until the second or third week, he was going to give me every other week for me to lead the training as a senior in high school, my last year of high school. So Pastor Reed invested in me because he saw just, just that spark of potential in me. And I believe that God has called us to do this also, to see potential in people and find a way to invest in them, all of us, to do this. I've tried investing in people in different ways, uh, through, through words of encouragement, certainly through befriending people, through uh, Bible reading and book reading together, accountability together, praying together, serving together, sharing our faith together, different ways I've tried to invest in people, and always imperfectly. I started in college, went through sort of a secular job and tried to invest in people there, and all the way through into the last 16 years of being a pastor. But I hope I can confess something to you guys. Even after all these years of trying to invest in people imperfectly, I so often have no clue where to begin. I see someone's faith in Jesus, their love for others, I acknowledge it and think, man, if I could just reach out to that person just a little bit and be part of helping them realize their potential in the kingdom of God for the glory of God, if I could just reach out to them and then I get stuck so off. I don't know really what to do next. How can I communicate that to this person? How can I reach that person? And I get stuck. Maybe you're here this morning and you know someone. You want someone present this morning. You see their faith in Jesus, their love for others. You see that that spark of potential to be used by God for his kingdom. But you feel inadequate. You feel ill-equipped. And if I might be blunt, you have no idea where to start. How how do I cross that bridge and begin to invest in a person so that they could become the person God intends them to be? This is exactly the place where the Bible gives us direction this morning. Open, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Ephesians 1, 15. That's going to be on page 836. If you are using one of the Bibles we have provided. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Paul begins this letter to the Ephesians with what was in his Greek language a super long, run-on sentence praising God. Praising God for who he is, for what he has done. And finally, at the end of this run-on sentence, Paul finally puts a Greek version of a period. 
and says, okay, I'm finally out of breath. I finally praise God for all these things. And then he turns his attention to his readers, to the people, to the church. And we pick up there. We read together Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 21. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let me just stop here for a second. Paul starts by way of telling the church, I've heard about you. I've heard about your trust in Jesus, your faith in Jesus. I've heard about how you love others. And one way to say this is, you're off to a great start. I see the potential in you. And for this reason, I am remembering you in my prayers. I am praying for you. So here's where the prayer starts in earnest, verse 13. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Let's pray together. You have decided investing in someone feels overwhelming at times, Lord. We, we often don't know where do we begin when we want to invest in someone. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul, who, who begins investing in people with prayer. Please help us, Father, this morning to not only learn how to pray for a fellow family member to reach their potential, but actually start to pray. This morning, start to pray for a fellow family member here to reach their fullest potential as a child of God. Help us do all this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. My uh, first year of high school, I uh, had a basketball coach named Coach White. And Coach White used to have a nickname for me. He called me Hollywood. That was not a compliment when you're playing sports. All right, he had a nickname for everyone. My, mine was Hollywood. I, was, uh, I had not yet hit my growth spurt at this age, my first year in high school. And so I was the smallest person on the basketball team. And that's a disadvantage of basketball. The closer you are to the 10-foot rim in basketball, the better. It's just easier to shoot over people. And so he knew that he would have to kind of get under my skin to almost make me mad, to make me work my hardest to reach my fullest potential as a basketball player. And that was his goal. He wanted everyone to reach their fullest potential. He would bark at us from the sideline. He would say, run to your fullest potential. Guys, rebound to your fullest potential. Defend to your fullest potential. That was his motto. So much so that I remember seeing he had on the back of his clipboard a motto for himself. And he just had taped across it, coach to their fullest potential. He was the leader of our team, and so it said, coach to their fullest potential. Now, I want us to transfer that motto, if you would, to the, to the spiritual realm, and that's what our message this morning is in a nutshell. You want to invest in others, you don't know where to start? Pray to their fullest potential. Pray to their fullest potential. 
Paul prays for the entire church. What we're going to do this morning is create space for each of us, each of us here this morning, to pray for one other person in the church. One other person in the church. So I want you right now, take a moment and choose, even write down if this helps you, one person in this church. You can add two if you want, if you want to be really ambitious. But one person, look around, one person in this church in whom you see potential. And there are so many people here with potential to affect God's kingdom for his glory. So choose one. I want to encourage you. You might be tempted like, I want to pray for my, my, my mother in Florida, for my, my Aunt Sally in Joburg or something like that. Paul prays for the church. I want to encourage us one person in this church, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach about praying to their potential. Then we're going to respond by actually praying from where you're sitting, just praying quietly to their potential. And then we'll also intermix praise, praise to God through song, to be thanking God for listening to our prayers, which we're praying to others' potential. So the reason we're going to do this, well, first of all, we're going to do this three times. Preach, pray, praise. Preach, pray, praise. Preach, pray, praise. And the reason we're going to do it three times is because in Paul's prayer, we see three movements in the prayer. All right, first we, we see how does Paul pray to their fullest potential? He prays by, by know, get, that they would get to know God better first of all. Second, they would know their value better. And thirdly, they would know power better, okay? So let's start, let's begin where Paul does. He he prays that they would get to know God better. Read that again with me as he starts his prayer in earnest in verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Or as the NIV, I think, more, maybe more helpfully translates it, so that you may know him better. So you may get to know God better. Paul envisions that knowing God better can happen through this gifting of spiritual wisdom and a spiritual revelation. And I love both of those things because they're so important. One is so spiritual, one is so in some ways very earthy, and they're both very much needed. First, we need revelation to get to know God better. When we trust our lives to Jesus, God takes away from us the penalty of sin, the penalty of rebelling against our creator for all our lives, saying no to him and yes to us. He takes away the penalty, and he begins to take away the the power of sin in our life, its effect in our life, the way it has a, a hold over us. But he doesn't yet take away the presence of sin. Penalty's gone, power's changing, but the presence of sin is still there. And sometimes we, we revert back to we revert back to seeing God through what's good for me, what's comfortable for me. We sort of see God through our desires and our preferences. And so we get this sort of blurred, inaccurate view of who God is. So without the Holy Spirit's help, our default is to, to sort of fashion God in our image, not his image, not as he truly is. Does that make sense? So for example, some of us see God as a God of grace. Other of us see God as a God of truth. Some of us see God more as a God of of justice, that he will right every wrong and he will put to right every wrongdoer. Others of us see God as a God of mercy, giving wrongdoers second, third, and fourth chances again and again. Give an example for 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 my own life and our marriage. I tend to see 
Jesus as being more relational, when he like encouraged Mary to sit at his feet and learn from him. Whereas Katie sees servant Jesus who washed his disciples' feet. So I tend to think God approves of, of going that extra mile of quality time investing in a person. And, and Katie tends to think of God sort of wanting us to go the extra mile and serving a person more tangibly. And so what happens is, what do we do? We tend to think God is happy with what I do, but he's really not happy with where you fail, <laughs> right? My weaknesses, God's patient with, but your sins, eh, not so much because we start to view God differently. We need a revelation to know God as he truly is in his fullness, not just who we would prefer him to be. Second, we need practical help to get to know him better. That's wisdom. Wisdom is that practical know-how, that practical doing of what is true. So Paul prays not just for the Holy Spirit to open their eyes, but he prays that they would make practical decisions to put themselves in the best position to know God, to know God better, to know him as he truly is, to actually put ourselves in places that are wise for getting to know God better. For example, if we're to know him better, it's using wisdom to go to bed before 1 a.m. on Saturday night because Sunday morning comes and you are not probably going to want to get to know him better. You're going to want to press the snooze button. Right? And so God, so Paul practically prays for wisdom that we make the right decisions to put ourselves in positions to know him better. Right? Wisdom would say, okay, let's make a plan to read the Bible rather than just opening this thing up every day and not knowing what it's talking about. Right? And then getting frustrated. Wisdom helps us make the most of our commute time in the car to and from work or to and from taking the kids to school whether it's through prayer or praise music, listening to a sermon, making the most of that time, that's wisdom to know God better. Uh, To not just surround ourselves with people who are similarly wired or gifted, people just like us, but people who relate differently to God so we might see him as he truly is. So we need both help to see God, spiritual help to see God better, and we need wisdom to put ourselves in position to know God better. So that's what Paul prays for, spiritual wisdom and revelation God's people may know him better. So let's go and do likewise. We're going to start this morning, beginning from where you're sitting, to pray for that one person you have in mind. We're going to pray they know God better. I'm going to have a few prayer prompts up on the screen to get you started. But we're going to take a few minutes to just from where you are, pray for that person. Remember, you're, you're praying so they might reach their potential as children of God. We're going to start by praying they might get to know God better. And when the time's right, we'll stand with the praise team and mix our prayers with praise. Amen. You can have a seat. In the late 1990s, a uh, singer-songwriter by the name of Paul Bellocci, he was sitting just as you are uh, in the seats right now, uh, just like you are listening to his pastor. And his pastor was preaching on the same verse, verses we're reading this morning. We're talking about praying to know God prays to their potential by getting to know their value better. Look at this in verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So Paul Bellocci hears these verses, just like you're hearing them now, and he starts to write down some lyrics to a song. Open the eyes of my heart, 
Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. And since that time, that's become one of the most popular praise songs to be sung in the world. Pelosi was inspired hearing this prayer, have the eyes of your heart enlightened. It's a peculiar phrase, right? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Scientists and doctors agree that our hearts don't actually have eyes. Uh, I googled it just to, be, just to be sure I wasn't missing something. So we know it's true because I googled it. Uh, and, and we don't. I mean, it would have been much easier. Why didn't Paul just simply say, I pray that God's opened your eyes to, to new truths or to, to who God is. But he doesn't. I think we will see that how God uses this phrase of opening the eyes of, of your hearts will begin to make sense as we read how he used it. Let me, let me explain. Paul goes on to pray that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I think this might be the most overlooked and probably potentially the most misunderstood verse that we see here in this passage. Very easily could be misunderstood. At first glance, it appears that Paul's making another appeal to eternal life, that we might know the inheritance that we have in the future with God, in heaven with him. All the riches we'll have, all the treasures we'll have with God. And that would go along with what we read last week. What, if God, what God has done for us in Christ and applied through us to the Holy Spirit, this glorious inheritance that we have in the future. But notice that's not what Paul says. Look again, not our inheritance, but God's inheritance. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? God's reward for giving his one and only son is us. God's gift to himself is us. What he is most looking forward to is us with him forever and fully. This begins then to make sense of this idea of the eyes of our hearts needing to be enlightened or opened. Because what if we were just to use our actual eyes to view ourselves? What if we could use our actual eyes just to look at our lives, the way they're lived out in the flesh to view ourselves? How would we view ourselves? I would view myself as a, as a screw-up as a failure, as ordinary. I see myself as someone with potentially or persistently unrealized potential. I view myself as never as good as, never as worthy as. If I just look with my own eyes, that is what I would see about myself. I don't know if you can relate to that. But because Jesus lived rightly in our place, God looks at us through the lens of Jesus and what he sees is his treasure. He sees his glorious inheritance. He sees riches. He calls us. He knows us as saints, which literally are God's set-apart ones, people who he has set apart as special, as treasured, as holy. Consider that. The next time you, you spend an evening looking, looking up at the stars in the heavens or an afternoon going down below, for a dive to view what's beneath. And there's incredible majesty and beauty and awe there when you, when you go on those dives or you look up into the heavens, but there's nothing compared to what is most valuable to God, to us, us. Imagine what knowing your true value, what people knowing their true value in God can do to help them grow to their fullest potential. For example, 
Knowing your value transforms you, transforms how you approach God. You, you can boldly ask him for big things because you had the faith of a favorite child. Because you are a favorite child. You can go to him and say, Dad, this is what I want. This is what I'm thinking. And boldly ask him. Knowing your true value affects how you respond both to failure and success. Failure doesn't crush you because you're still deeply beloved, treasured. God's greatest reward for sending Jesus. And success doesn't define you because you'll always, uh, there will always be a greater definition for who you are. God's glorious inheritance. Saints, his set-apart ones. Knowing your value sustains you right through emotional valleys and under spiritual attack. Because we can remember who we are in Christ and what's really true about who we are being his glorious inheritance. Now, in order to, to really see that and keep seeing that, we need a new heart from which we can see ourselves accurately as God sees us. And that's what happens when we trust Jesus. God promises long ago, even before Jesus came, that those who would trust him would receive a new heart. God says this, I will give you a new heart, and I will remove the heart of stone from your from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart of tenderness, Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. God gives us a real soft heart through which we can see ourselves accurately as God sees us. But Paul prays this for the church. Paul prays that they would see their value to God, see themselves as God sees them. And that's the hope to which they're called. Let's go and pray likewise. From where you're sitting, we're going to continue to pray. Keep that one person in mind. What's the second thing we're praying for? We're praying that that person, that person you have in mind, that person for whom you're praying the greatest potential for, that they would know their true value as God sees them. So again, we'll take a few minutes from where you're sitting just to pray for that person. We'll have a few prompts above. And we'll have some music, and then we'll begin to praise God when the band calls us. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat, please. I have a bit of confession to make. It's a little embarrassing, but I really liked the Transformers movie. Um, It's 2007. If you've never seen this, is a movie about alien robots who come to Earth, live among us through automobiles, trains, Mack trucks, such such items, planes even, and they're here to protect us. from other evil alien robots who live among us. A great idea, right, for a movie, and I loved it. Uh, 2007, I gathered a group of college students who I'm working with to go watch this movie with me because I wanted to see the toys of my childhood come to life on screen. And I think I like two things about it in particular. Uh, Number one, the idea of having an uh, automobile superhero who both fought my fights and gave me a ride home was very attractive to me. Uh, Secondly, just cyborgs that uh, could systematically fight evil, fight and defeat evil, was also an attractive idea. Uh, It seemed very good. And before you sort of scoff at my cinematic sensibilities, I want to invite you to Paul's final movement of his prayer for the Ephesian church, where praying to their potential, Paul prays that they would know power better. That's the third movement, that they would know power better. Read with you would, verses 19 through 21. And I pray that you would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power 
toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Paul here utilizes every big, explosive, powerful word you can think of to paint for us a picture of power available for us who believe and toward us who believe. Every, and I want to share some of those words with you for a moment here because it's pretty cool when you get into the details. He talks about this immeasurable greatness. That immeasurable comes from the Greek word hooperbalon, hooperbalon or hyperbalon. What does that sound like? What English word does that sound like? You English majors out there, hyperbole, right? Hyperbole, over the topness, the exaggerative nature of things. It's kind of this over the top kind of power. Pretty cool, right? Immeasurable greatness. Greatness comes from the Greek word megathos, right? And what does that sound like in English? Megatron. Of course it does. Megatron. I mean, even Paul may have been thinking of the Transformer movies prophetically. 2007, I know it's coming. What's big? What's explosive? Megathos. And immeasurable greatness of his power, which comes from the Greek word, you see their power, dunamis. Dunamis, dynamis. What does that, what does that sound like? Come on, help me out. Dynamite, right? Think of this potential power, the potential of explosiveness, ready to detonate at any time. And this is according to the working of this great might. That, that working comes from the word energia. Energia, that's an easy one. What is that? Energy, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Th- think of that explosive potential then being activated, being detonated, realized in life. And finally, I'll give you one more for fun here. Of his great might, comes from the Greek word kratos, kratos, from which the bodybuilding supplement creatine comes from. True story. They made it after a Greek word because people like Greek words. Creatine. What does it mean to think of those action movies with big muscle-bound people? Imagine like John Cena walking onto the screen, right? Vin Diesel, creatine. This is, these are the kinds of words Paul uses purposely. He, he wants to set off fireworks, detonate explosives, so those for whom he's praying don't miss the point that Christians are living in a big blockbuster movie where anything is possible with God because we are his treasured and glorious inheritance. And in case they haven't got that hint, that reality of explosive power available and exercise towards all of us, Paul tops it off by saying that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available for us to believe. Incredible, right? How can knowing intimately such power in your life help you grow to your potential as a child of God? How? Let me give you just a couple ways. It frees us to take faith risks for God. right? Not only pray big things, like we talked about earlier, but try big things because the true superhero of universal dynamite, energy, over-the-top meganess is on our side. So I don't know what that faith risk might look for you. Maybe it's just opening your mouth and sharing your faith with a friend, neighbor, or coworker for the first time. And that's nerve-wracking. But that superhero figure's with you. God's with you. Maybe it's starting that new venture, which you've been afraid to take, but you've sensed the Holy Spirit say, you're supposed to do this, and you take that leap. Maybe it's just a commitment you know you need to make in your life, a relational commitment, a commitment to obedience to Jesus. That's going to be really hard because you're comfortable with the way your life is now. 
but God has power available to you to make that step. Here's another way available power can help us reach our potential. We are given God-given authority. Do you know that as a Christian? I preached on this uh, uh, last month, a sermon on uh, lessons on victory. And I talked about the God-given authority of followers of Jesus to speak forgiveness into people's lives and the God-given authority to confront evil in the lives of yourself and the lives of those you love. We have this through Christ. This is the power available to us. And this is what Paul prayed. He prayed to their potential by asking the Father to help them get intimately acquainted with this resurrection, dynamic power available for all who believe. We should pray life light. So let's do that. So for the last time, we'll pray for that one person, that one person you have in mind. I'm going to include a few prayer prompts again. And then after a few minutes, our praise team will ask us to stand so we can mix those prayers with praise. Let's pray.